This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to watch today, especially if this is your first time to watch the telecast. I want to invite you to stay tuned today as we talk about what it really means to be a godly man. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now, now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're offering a Bible correspondence course. You say, what does it cost? Absolutely nothing. It's free. All you have to do is request it. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to pause just long enough for you to learn a little bit more about the course and then how you can receive it free of charge. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm reading today from Psalms number one, the entire chapter. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall pros prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous." For the way of the ungodly shall perish. If I were to ask you today to name the, the one thing, the greatest thing that a man can be, what would you name? Well, you say the greatest thing a man can be is to be wealthy. Well, there's not a sin for a person to be wealthy unless they let that wealth start controlling them. But is that the greatest thing a man can be? Somebody says, well, I think the greatest thing a man can be is to be a leader. He needs to really be a leader. Well, there's a shortage of real leadership today, male leadership in our world. But, but is that the number one thing that a man ought to be? Someone says, well, I think the, the biggest thing and the greatest thing that a man can be is decisive. He needs to be able to, to make good decisions, to use wisdom in making those decisions. To that, I wholeheartedly agree. But is that the number one thing? What is the number one thing that a man ought to be? And I believe the, the, the greatest thing that a man can be is to be a godly person. 
And godly men are needed today. They're needed everywhere. They're needed in the workplace. They're needed in government today. They're needed today in the church. They're needed in the home. There's the great need today for godly men. Well, if, if we were trying to give some characteristics of a godly person, well, what are some of the things that we might consider? Well, one of the first things that I believe that I would consider in, in, in trying to identify a man who is a godly person is that he's a person who lives close to God and he lives close to Jesus. He lives a spiritual life and a spirit-filled life every day. Now, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? To live close to the Lord every day, to live close to the Father every day, to, to live a spirit-filled life every day. But the fact is, living close to the Lord every day is the very foundation of a godly life. You see, we must be born again, and we cannot be like Him or live close to Him until we are born again. In John 3, 7, Jesus said, you must be born again. He had already been asked by Nicodemus in verse 3 of John chapter 3, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said in verse number 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So a man must be born again. Jesus did not say it would be nice if you were born again, but you must be born again. And we're born again when we obey the Word of God. First uh, Peter 1, 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. When the seed of the kingdom is sown in a good and honest heart, it produces fruit. And that seed that is sown in a heart produces faith, and it results in a person wanting to obey Jesus. And when we believe in our Lord, we repent of our sins, we confess our faith in Christ, and we are baptized into Christ, we've been born again. Galatians 3, 26 and verse 27, really our commentary is on John 3 and verse 5. There the Bible says, we're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ did put on Christ. So there you have it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Or, in looking at Galatians 3, 26, 27, the one who believes and the one who is baptized is the one who puts Christ on. We put him on in baptism. And so we cannot live that godly life until we've been born again. Now, a man may be good, but not godly. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 11, Paul was writing to Timothy, and he said, O thou man of God. He called him a man of God. Now, to call a person a man of God, that man has to be living a godly life. You may call someone good, but they may not be a godly person. Often we refer to a person to being good man, good woman, etc., etc. But, but you see, there's a difference in being, just being good from a worldly point of view and living 
a godly life. Now, to live close to the Lord Jesus every day, there are at least three things I want us to consider. Number one, to live close to Jesus is to be a partaker of the divine nature. Over in the book of Second uh, uh, Peter, chapter 1, and verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Peter is writing about that divine nature. And, and he's talking about the fact that we become partakers of that divine nature. Now, someone says, well, what does that mean to be a partaker of that divine nature? I've heard people refer to someone and their behavior, and they'll say something about like this. Oh, that's just human nature. That's just human nature for people to talk too much. It's just human nature for people to gossip. It's just human nature for people to lose their temper. Well, that may be human nature, but is that the divine nature? Now, we're talking about the mark of a person who's godly. They, they become a taker of a different kind of nature. Let, listen to the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we've been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these, through these, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We want to be partakers of the divine nature. Somebody says, what does that mean to be a partaker of the divine nature? To have the mind of Christ, to try to live a godly life, to be as close to God and close to Jesus as we possibly can. And when we live in close to them, we become partakers of that divine nature. To, be a partake, to, to live close to the Lord every day, to live that godly life, means that I am producing the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Paul in Galatians 5, and 23 said, the fruit of the Spirit is. So he's going to give us a, 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 a catalog of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and meekness and gentleness, temperance. But he said against such, there's no law. So there's some things that we're, in which we're limited doing them. But there's absolutely no limit in that kind of fruit that you can produce. You can produce as much of it as you want to. You can be as loving and kind and gentle and good and all of those different things that are mentioned there as being fruit of the Spirit as you want to be. And some have suggested that love is the fruit of the Spirit and all the other things grow out of that love. That may or may not be the case, but I know love is the very foundation of it all. We need to have the fruit of the Spirit. And you see, to live a godly life, I'm going to live close to Jesus every day. And I've got to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And in order to live close to the Lord, I've got to love other people without strings attached. Have you ever noticed how sometimes people uh, attach strings to what they will do for you or not do for you? I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. 
or I'll love you if. I'll be your friend if. You see, when the Lord loved us, there were not those kind of strings attached. The, the Lord didn't say, now I'll love you if you'll start straightening up and fly right. That was an expression my daddy used to use. Straighten up and fly right, son. Well, I knew my daddy loved me whether I straightened up was flying right or left, you know. I knew he still loved me. But sometimes we have those kind of strings attached. But God doesn't love that. We're learning Romans 5 and verse 8 that God loved us even when we were sinners. When we were so unlovely and unlovable, He still loved us. And that's the kind of love that we ought to have for other people. That's, that's love without strings being attached to it. We're to love the brotherhood, Hebrews 13.1. We're to love all men. First, first Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 17. Love the brotherhood. You see, we ought to have a love in our heart for mankind in general. Jesus said, the second greatest commandment in all of the world is this. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. We've got to love people. And there's such a shortage of love in the world, there seems to be an overabundance of bitterness and hatred in our world. Would you not agree? And in the place of that bitterness and hatred and malice, we need to have love one for another. If you're really concerned about being a godly person, and living a godly life, if you're going to live close to Jesus every day, then you must learn to love people like our Lord did. You know, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus not only died for his friends, Jesus died for people that didn't like him. He died for his enemies as well. You see... You've got, if you want to be close to the Lord, if you're going to live close to Jesus, you have to desire that. You have to want to be. And I'd suggest you're just as close as you want to be. The James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Draw near God, He'll draw close to you. Draw near to you. In, in Psalms chapter 73 and verse 28, the psalmist said, It's good for me to draw near to God. And folks, I'd suggest it's good for all of us. But you see, you've got to want to be close to Jesus. Now, we're, what we're talking about is a godly man. We're talking about one of those characteristics and marks of a godly person. They live close to the Lord every day. Now, to challenge our thinking, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest, on a scale of 1 to 10, how close... Are you to Him right now? But another mark of a godly man, according to this first psalm, is that he orders his life after the counsel of God. He said he, he, he delights in the law of the Lord, and in His law he meditates day and night. But, but this man who lives this godly life does not seek the counsel from ungodly people. He, he seeks counsel from godly sources. And he's known for what he does not do. 
You know, sometimes people are known for what they do. But sometimes we are known, that is, gain a reputation for what we do not do. And here's what the godly man does not do. Number one, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Number two, he does not stand in the path of sinners. And number three, he does not sit in the seat of the scornful. So he walks in the counsel of the godly and not the ungodly. I think another way to put this so that, that I can understand it and hopefully others can, that this godly man is seeking companionship with the right kind of people. I don't know of a better, a better thing for us to think about in trying to live a good life and especially teaching our children that this man needs to seek counsel and companionship with the right kind of people. He does not seek the counsel of ungodly people. Sometimes a person has a problem. I've seen this actually happen numerous, numerous times. Here's a woman who's having problems with her husband. So who does she go to for advice? She goes to another woman who's had problems with her husband. And what she did when she had problems with her husband, she got rid of him. So she goes, no, woman number one goes to woman number two to get advice. And woman number two, who had the same problem, who got rid of her husband, advises number, woman number one to get rid of hers. That's bad advice. And that's the wrong place to go for advice. I had a man give me some advice a number of year, years ago. And, and it was before I went off to college and I was uh, working for an electrical contractor and this man was, was uh, one of the workers. And one day he said to me, he said, you know, Billy, you should never seek advice from a person who has not been successful in the thing you're trying to do. That's been a long time ago that Mr. Crawford gave me that advice. But I still remember it today because it was good advice. It was good counsel. It was sound advice. When you need advice, don't stand in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't, don't stand in the counsel of a person who's been a failure in life. Go to someone who's been successful. Seek advice from the right kind of people. And that's the reason we need to seek good companions in life. People that will help us be built up and not destroy our lives. No, the Bible says that evil companionship can corrupt good morals. Solomon in Proverbs chapter 1 and 10 says, My son, if sinners entice you, consent thou not. Sometimes people try to entice us and they give us advice, but it's not good advice. And I would suggest that you never make a crucial decision in life based on the counsel of an ungodly person. Now, I hope that you'll let that sink in. Never make a crucial decision in your life based on the advice and the counsel that you have received from some person that you know is not living for Jesus. 
Why don't you find a godly woman? Why don't you find a godly man, some elderly person in the church who's been living for the Lord maybe 30 or 40 or 50 or more years and get advice and counsel from someone like that? Because you see, they know how to stay close to the Lord every day. And that's what you want, isn't it? You want to live a godly life, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a boy or girl, you want to live a godly life. And so the best advice that we can ever receive is from the Word of God. Listen to the, to the psalmist again. The blessed man, the happy person, is the man, number verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law, He meditates day and night. Is your delight in the law of the Lord? You see, some of the best advice we'll ever get is from the Bible. That's the reason I'm excited about the Bible. I, I am just excited about the Bible because this is where you get some of the best advice. Sometimes people come to me for advice. I say, well, let's just open the Bible and see what God has to say about it. Because you see, I can, be, I can be a little off base sometimes if I try to give advice. But when I tell them what God has said, when I tell them from a, from a biblical point of view what the Bible says, I know that's right. If I just read it to them without human comment. Folks, everything that we need to know about life now and life to come is revealed in this book. So why shouldn't I seek counsel of the counsel of God? Uh, 2 Peter 1 and 3, and we read that just earlier, tells us that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness, and all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And Paul says that Scripture is profitable, and it will furnish us unto every good work. You see, when it comes to advice... God has the edge over man. I just, just imagine you've got a problem. You need some advice. You have a friend. You're very close. You say, I, I think I'll just go out to coffee with my friend. We'll just sit down over a cup of coffee and I'll just pour out my heart. And maybe your friend has had the same kind of issues. Same kind of problems. And that's not to say that our friends give us bad advice all the time because they do not. But sometimes they are very biased in their view if they have had a bitter experience in the thing that you're dealing with. But see, God's going to give you unbiased advice. Good counsel. His ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways and our ways and his thoughts and our thoughts. Now with all of that in view, tell me, why wouldn't we want to know what God's thinking? If his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, greater than anything I could ever think of, why wouldn't I want to take the advice and the counsel of God? Listen to him again. This godly man delights in the law of the Lord, meditates in his law day and night. But here's a third thing I want us to observe in, in closing today. And that is this godly man is happy. 
He's happy. Look at the very first word in the first psalm, the first word of psalm number one. Blessed or blessed. And that word literally means happy. Happy. There, there are plenty of unhappy people in our world. Oh, I, I may be speaking to someone right now who's really not happy. Sometimes people can try to find happiness where happiness is not found. That happened to King Solomon. Uh, Solomon tried to find what a man should do all the days of his life, and he traveled down a lot of avenues in life, wine, women, and songs, so to speak. But he, but he came to the conclusion that all of that, his vanity and vexation of the spirit, that happiness cannot be secured by things we find under the sun. But it's things that are above the sun where happiness to be found. Happiness is only found when a man accepts the counsel, the advice, the wisdom, the teaching, the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of God Almighty. Isn't God good? Isn't God wonderful? Isn't He great? Isn't He awesome? That God wants to help us? But we've got to want to help ourselves. And we need to, we, we can be happy if we will stop trying to secure happiness in things that pertain to this world only. You see, happiness is, is an inside job. It has to do with what's inside of you, what is in your heart. It's not how much money you have, the kind of car you drive, the kind of house you live in, the kind of clothes you wear, the kind of education you have, the friends you socialize with. That's not where happiness is. Happiness is found only when you're right with God and you have happiness and peace that passes all understanding. Would you not become a Christian today by believing on Jesus, repenting of your sins, as a penitent, confessing believer, be baptized into Christ? You can be saved. I want to thank you for watching today and in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. If you're not certain where the church is located, how about getting in touch with us? We'll find it for you. And also right now, pick up the phone. Call for the pre-Bible correspondence course. And if you prefer, you can take it online. We want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.